generic beer when beer was beer. The latest in the Bud Light shit show. And a recap of Barley Brown's history. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. We are recording this on June 8th, which is actually National Name Your Poison Day. Uh, this comes from a story about uh, uh, a phrase that suddenly became popular in Washington, D.C., from the phrase, nominate your poison, back when it was acceptable to not only uh, 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 poison your elected officials, but to actually request that they uh, pick out which poison they were going to be killed with if uh, if they upset you. Um, and, 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 you know, so it was more traditional to say, say you know, when you nominated somebody, you also also have to nominate which which uh, uh, poison they were going to take, so that when they uh, uh, so when they piss you off, uh, that's what they had to take. It was more sporting that way. You got uh, uh, you, you you had a chance to develop an immunity, and in celebration of that, a more non-traditional way, I've spiked uh, 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 Tyler's uh, glass with an unidentified poison. Let's uh, uh, Tyler by the end of this episode, let's see if you can name that poison. I'm Jeremy Jones. The poison is knowing you. <laughs> just like that deadpan look you were giving this entire time. That is the worst opening I've ever heard on this podcast. No, it is not. Yes, it is. That is? Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I, I'm, I am now dumber for hearing that. <laughs> May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> That's from Billy, uh, Billy Madison. Madison. Yeah. Snoogans. Um, <laughs> I how, can't remember the whole... Like, Tyler, how are you feeling? How Are you feeling good? Oh, yeah. You, I was uh, having a great day okay. until you just ruined it. Okay. Well, okay. Well, we'll let's have a beer and in 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 that glass specifically. And uh... <laughs> which I heard a term the other day for the sound of a beer can cracking. Okay. Uh, called Irish crickets. I like that. I, I like. I do. That's that's a great name for for because a. Because when one happens, you know there's gonna be others with the Irish. That's that, that's, a, that, that's a great name for that. I mean, you know, leaving aside that the Irish did not invent uh, uh, the the cans you could open like that, but I do appreciate the the nod to uh, Irish culture, which is to say, just general drunkenness. Yeah. So Irish crickets. What are we drinking? Did we 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 both bought a beer, and we both brought a beer that have something to do with a story we're talking about. Yeah. So um, I brought the beer beer from Untitled Arts, not to be. Confused with the beer beer from Red Deer that we talked about way back in the podcast before the pandemic, I want to say. It was episode, it was like one of the first, I want to say, it, 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 I, I know for a fact it was in the first 50. It may have been within the first 10 or 20. Yeah. So it was, it's, it, it uh, harken way back to the history of its yeah. all beer. Uh, but this from I t- Untitled Art, uh, it's, uh, they're American Pilsner. Uh, with Hollertau, Middlefru, and Strata. Five and a half percent. Like, the first thing I got when I got the aroma was like, okay, they use some sort of American hop in there because I get like a big, big burst of pineapple and citrus. Mm-hmm. A lot brighter hop aroma than I was expecting on it. I mean, it does border on like IPL or cold IP yeah. or whatever you want to call it because the hop flavor, I mean, not nothing against it. I wouldn't. Call this an American lager per se. American Pilsner. American Pil. Well, there's uh, fair enough. If you can take a basically the idea is you take a German Pilsner and you and make you, it hoppy, which is what a IPL is, but it's a hoppy lager. Fair enough. Uh, it's 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 pretty good. I do like the like I say he's got a bright citrus nose to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the flavor is light with a touch of like. Uh, biscuity honey sweetness on there and then it goes right to like pineapple i was gonna say almost like pineapple juice back end 
So like, yeah, I mean, a nice, refreshing, refreshing, flavorful lager. Um, probably, there's probably a little bit more body and a little bit more hops than I think you would be going for on your on your average lager. It's definitely more hazy. Yeah. Uh, it's got quite a bit of, so, yeah, I don't, I think that's a stretch to call this. Uh, Pilsner? A Pilsner. I, I'd still go with uh, uh, IPL, but. Um, but, but what but, do we know? We but, only have a beer podcast. But uh, uh, quite good anyway. And I've been well. I was told I was informed by uh, uh, by a very snarky AI a few weeks ago that we should focus more on the flavor and profiles of beer and less on dick jokes. So, um, well, AI can suck my <laughs> dick. <laughs> well, on that and on that note, since we've uh, already offended our robot overlords, Tyler, uh, you would like to would you like to kick us off today? Yeah. Uh, some news that just came out recently. Um, Sierra Nevada CEO Jeff White announced his forthcoming retirement on Tuesday. Uh, he will be stepping down. Uh, the founder, Ken Grossman, will stand in as interim CEO. Uh, why they look for a new CEO. Uh, Jeff White was Sierra Nevada's second CEO after Ken Grossman. So, <laughs> it's... Uh, Kind of a little loop-de-loop, uh, but... Well, Grossman, stepping... I kind of got the impression, and I don't know if you got the same impression or any or anything in any article you read um, about this, but it kind of... There it seemed to be a short-term solution to an immediate problem. Yep. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the uh, current CEO... Seemed like it, the, his leaving again. I, I there's something about it just seems sudden, and so maybe it's maybe it is Ken Grossman stepping in like this. So it strikes me that this is a temporary. Uh, uh, I think this will be a temporary because I don't think. I mean, Ken Grossman stepped down in 2018. Uh, they brought in Jeff White in 2019, and he's been in that situation. Or they brought him in as CEO in 2019. He was with the company since 2013. And really kind of helped them transform from being a beer company to a total beverage company and expanding into the hard kombucha lines, buying Riot Energy, uh, getting into hop water, and really just kind of rounding out their beverage portfolio. I still have to say, I have not tried them recently, uh, but I have to say that their hard kombuchas, when I tried them when they first rolled out, were, how do I say this mildly, um, uh, they were... Awful. They were god fucking awful. And I think they also do the T West like hard ice teas. I have as not. Well. I have not tried those. Which I tried one of them, and I think it was from Sierra. I can't remember. And it was pretty solid. Okay. So all I remember was I don't like kombucha in and of itself, and I. So I've never tried their hard kombucha, so I can't weigh in. Kombucha is hit or miss for me. I I, I feel like uh, I I think as a whole I enjoy them. The, the mix of flavors and whatever the fuck they did to the tea leaves and everything else, I don't remember exactly why. All I remember is like drinking half of it, going, well, that is legitimately awful, pouring the rest of it down, looking again at the can, going, and that's Sierra Nevada. You'd think somebody there would have tasted this and go, now, nah, try this again. Try 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 that shit again. Yeah, I but, feel... But I suppose uh, I'm also not a judge on hard kombucha either. Yeah. So, so. I, I you, you there might be... If there's someone listening to this podcast who's a huge 
hard kombucha fan. Uh, first of all, thank you for sticking around this long. This is, this is They're like, a, one day! This must be a great moment for you. You're like, finally, finally an episode for me. It's not an episode for you. We're moving right the fuck on. Yeah. But I, I, well. so, I'll be curious to see uh, how long it takes them to find a new CEO and who they end up finding. Uh, so if you're wanting to become CEO of the nation's like third or fourth biggest uh, brewery in the United States by production... Uh, or craft brewery. Uh, go apply at Sierra Nevada. Tyler, you do it. Ah, uh, no. You, Good. I don't want to live in California. You can remote work. You can. I don't think they allow CEOs to do that. If you're not, what the fuck's the point of being a CEO if you can't do whatever the fuck you want? Just fl- you'll you'll get a private jet. You'll fly in on like a magic helicopter, which I assume all CEOs get just by getting. This is Sierra Nevada, not Anheuser Busch. You still get like. Private jets and magic helicopter and jetpacks. You'll have a jetpack. You just kind of fly into Dude. to the meeting. You go, okay, business meeting. Do business. Okay, I'm out. I'm gonna. I, I got like three hookers and a line of cocaine waiting for me. I'm gonna jet ba- jetpack back to that. Uh, that's, that's that's how I envision all CEOs operating. Wouldn't that be the dream? <laughs> nah, I love my wife. So you can get rid of the hookers. Okay, uh, but jetpack, private jet, and cocaine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, 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 Tyler, well, Tyler's uh, 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 away on his own little private vacation. Uh, <laughs> Bud Light update news now, because you know, feel like we've been missing this for a while. Um, I don't know about I don't know about you, but I personally, I've been boycotting Bud Light for 41 years now. Uh, the first 21 years was because no one would sell me one. And so I didn't drink one out of solidarity for this ageist culture we live in. Um, I think I drank more before I turned 21 <laughs> than I... Well, uh, I uh, and then after that, I didn't drink Bud Light because it tastes like what would happen if you uh, uh, got a cabin with halitosis to spit into your open mouth. Yeah, I was almost more of a Natty Light fan than a Bud Light fan. It's because you have no taste buds. I, although, actually, I guess as we proved during the... <laughs> during the, the Doing the blind uh, beer tasting that neither of us have taste buds because Night Light was like number two. Natty Ice, no, Natty, Natty Ice, Ice was baby. Number two. I'm still ashamed of that. I admit that. <laughs> I talk about that. Uh, uh, if you want to listen to that, that was that was one of the proudest moments of my life. There's a picture of of Tyler looking happier than I've ever seen him in front of a line of. Trish. Did we do hams in that? We did not do hams. We th- that is a regret I have. Okay, <laughs> a deathbed regret from Tyler. Anyway, <laughs> um. So anyway, it is with mixed feelings I report this fact. Uh, Modelo has been on track to overtake Bud Light for a couple of years now. Previously, it's been projected out to 2025, 2035. It's come a bit faster than anticipated. Vine Pair reported on June 8th that the latest data from May is in. Modelo Especial sold uh, 341.9 million, and Bud Light sold... 298.6 298.6 million. So, I mean, Michelob's been on track to out overtake Bud Light. Not well, but it didn't, but it's been on a, a longer track and for, oh, mm-hmm. for longer. Modelo came out of almost nowhere within the past, what, five years? Five years it really started to accelerate, but it's been trending the right way. But it went really since and or AB and Bev had to sell off the. United States portion to Constellation. I mean, my, the point is, is that uh, yeah, they both may have overtaken it eventually, which is what precipitated the uh, 
the the uh, promo in question to <laughs> and if you don't know why the fuck we're talking about this I don't want to repeat it. Wow. Go How back, have you avoided it all? Go back to listen to our, uh, our previous episodes. And also, good for you. I applaud your level of obliviousness to... Isolation? The, it's it's actually impressive. Uh, and also... Concerning. Well, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I'm not sure why you're picking this up now. But I'm assuming everybody knows what we're talking about. So uh, I guess what I want to say is, good job, American patriots. You successfully made uh, American's best-selling beer... A Mexican brand. Uh, they took our jobs! And since irony is completely lost on most of you, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and watching what has happened to the Bud Light brand the last couple of months is like making a wish on the fucking monkey's paw. I mean, I'm glad nobody likes Bud Light anymore. I, I really I really am. I wish it was because people realized that it tastes like what would happen if you took the air in a junior high boy's locker room and condensed it in a beverage form. Uh, and not because people are showing their misplaced bigotry and, and over uh, a beverage choice or whatever. Um, <laughs> you just, you just, you just finally got what you just got that image of. Uh, of no, <laughs> no, I got it. Uh. <laughs> um, the past few weeks, uh, a lot of media companies have been practically masturbating in triumph over Bud Light having to do things that. Seem extraordinary to those who don't pay attention to the industry, but are actually kind of standard. Uh, most of these are hate. All the hate farmers you'd recognize: Fox News, New York Post, the less reputable sources that even them. But for some reason, Newsweek, of all the like all the news sources of all the magazines, has reported a lot on this. Now, whether they are desperate to keep the story alive for their own inscrutable purposes, or the, or whether they're trying to cozy up uh, uh, next to the Fox News audience, like CNN's apparently trying to do, I have no fucking idea. But they have reported, uh, uh, among other things, uh, they reported that, gasp, uh, Bud Light had to buy back cases of Bud Light. And they are so desperate, they had to, double gasp, resort to hiring pretty girl sales reps. Um, Where the fuck have you been? Did no? Does no one remember Bud Light next? That motherfucking thing went everywhere. <laughs> and the- it never sold. On the first point, um, on a good year, on a good year, Bud Light buys back and dumps more beer than most craft breweries produce. Ever. End of sentence. Yeah. <laughs> like, full stop. They they dump far more beer than most breweries produce. Now, they're probably doing that more right now as they are adjusting to a, uh, a, 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 a new uh, regular volume of sales. So... I mean, I. Why we were off one of the weeks when I was up in Montana for work, I was up by Kalispell talking to a gas station on the lake, and they said since that whole thing happened, they have sold two cases of Bud Light. <laughs> Full stop, not two cases of Bud Light. Right. Six pack, two cases of Bud Light, 24 packs. Like. Across all the Bud Light SKUs they have, which is like almost a full door, they have sold two total cases. So, they are probably going to buy back and dump more beer than they would have normally. Um, But... It's not some out of... But this is not... That in and of itself is not like imminent demise of the Bud Light brand. Um, And about hiring pretty girls... 
Uh, so this actually came from a Twitter account that stumbled upon an ad from a, from a modeling agency in Salt Lake City uh, uh, to hi- hiring girls to go around bars and give away Bud Light shit. So they're trying to do Red Bull girls. And, and of course, this was touted by the poster as how desperate they were to get people back on board. And again, this is not fucking new. Not for Bud Light. Not for really any like major brands, really. This is almost like once you get to a certain level, standard industry practice. Mm-hmm. I remember knowing girls in college that got paid by Bud to go around to bars and just buy people Bud and Bud Light. Jack Daniels has done. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've run into girls that have done it for Jack Daniels. Fireball GMB. was... Fireball. Yeah, I mean, this is this is not like some shot-in-the-dark tactic that... Yeah. No. If you've ever been on a college campus, the Red Bull girls are like the most, like, in fact, industry standard. In fact, my first encounter with a beer sales rep was probably something like this in the uh, in the early 2000s. A very pretty young lady came up to our table, started chatting us up, asking us to buy us beer. And I should have been suspicious because our dupe, our group was a bunch of angry white dudes, okay? We were like a private little 4chan before anyone knew what 4chan was. And I, there's no <laughs> way an attractive woman would have came up to your table. That's what I'm getting at. I know. <laughs> I'm just spelling it out. We... You, there's no woman who had that who, many daddy issues <laughs> and who wasn't being paid who would look at a bar and look at our table and go those guys <laughs> and honestly she was probably like fuck i have to go talk to those guys i i have no doubt and i don't i i i don't remember the the uh, the encounter in vivid detail but i'm fairly certain she walked away going they do not pay me enough to deal with this horse shit so, again, but my point is, not new, all right? Maybe maybe an increase is of late. Perhaps part of their promise to local distributors to increase advertising and increase visibility. They did say they're going to do that. Um, Bud Light's marketing is a black box, so it's hard to get a read on what they're doing more of versus less of. But bottom line, the worst you can say is that they are doing more of something that they've done in years past. So, Newsweek, calm the fuck down, and the rest of y'all, you... You do what you're going to do. But one high point. Um, If you've read any story about this over the past week, you've probably seen a picture of a crude wooden sign with a Bud Light case nailed to it and a circle and X in red spray paint. That picture is from Idaho. What? That You know what picture I'm talking about, right? Yeah, where it's like the side Uh of a case. That is apparently located outside of Arco, Idaho. Which, yeah, baby, that's us. We don't do a lot of things well in this state when it comes to public displays of impotent bigotry. We are Michael fucking Phelps. You know what else Arco is famous for? I was about to get into that. But Perfect. You wanna, you Go wanna, for it. Fun fact, Arco, Idaho is a population so expendable that it was actually the first town in the United States lit by nuclear power. Well, they weren't going to try that in any decent city. No, better try it out in some remote place far away where if the worst should happen and there's an accident and radioactive material is sprayed all over which turns the nearby people into drooling, barely literate mutants. It was that or Nevada. (laughs) No one was really going to notice a difference. That's what I'm saying. So, um, you were... Didn't they also create the TV there? The, the, sorry? The television. Uh, that was one of the first places they, uh, they, they debuted it. But uh, my point is, uh, you didn't think I was ever going to hit my home state. I just did it, baby. Bam! Idaho sucks. No, I'm pretty sure we've hit Idaho already. Okay, so. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I actually had... Uh, like, uh, 
Idaho was one of the ones I had no doubt we were going to hit. I don't know which state. I don't know which state is left. I may have to. I we needed a map. I think we've only hit like eleven, really. No, I've hit most of them. No, I, don't make me go through all the past episodes and get a map out. I will. Do I this mean, shit. get a map because I feel like there's a lot in like. You'll have that random chunk like in between the northwest or the north or midwest and like southeast. Yeah. That I feel like have just been avoided. Fair enough. All right. Well, about the uh, it's some. If you li- listen to every episode of the podcast, just send me a list of states that I've uh, I've trash talked, and uh, and we'll we'll compile this list. Like Make there sure. for a little while, we were hitting countries. So you were hitting countries. I've been mostly focusing on states. Uh you went on a rant <laughs> about like Australia and New Zealand. So they're not real countries. They're basically like they're still the United Kingdom. Um. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> if you if you live in in Australia or New Zealand, send your complaints to Tyler at it's all. Beer. No, Gmail. just send Jeremy a fucking drop bear or a spider. <laughs> it's June now, uh, that time of the year when you look at your uncle Dave and go, "Why the fuck did you just go on an hour long rant about rainbows?" And oh, fucking yeah, Pride Week. Okay, the only people that care more about Pride Month than the LGBTQ community are the people who hate them. Um, Which also like. Call yourself whatever you want, but that's starting to get a long name. <laughs> I've, 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 that's what I'm sticking with. Because it's um, LGBTQ plus now. Well, actually, I've seen it. I've actually now seen it as uh, uh, LGBTQ2 something something plus. So that was the two involved. Nope. Nope. So I'll give you the first four letters. <laughs> Um, if NASA doesn't need more than four letters, neither do you. Um, but I got to admit, I, 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 I and a few others have been sort of looking forward to this month to see what Bud Light does now. And Dave Infante at Vine Pair uh, summed up my interest best. Uh, he said, quote, I love watching people get hoisted on their own petards. Who doesn't? Donald Trump getting COVID after mismanaging and lying his way through the six, first six months of the pandemic? Thrilling. NFT jabronis begging central regulators to intervene on scams they've fallen victim to after braying to everyone who would listen and everyone who wouldn't. The superiority of decentralization? Delicious. Bang Energy's former chief executive staring the company into bankruptcy because he refused to stop posting. For me, there's hardly anything better. It's not an aspect of my personality I'm particularly proud of, but it's an aspect of my personality nonetheless. Uh, same, Dave. Same. Uh, Bud Light has been, in many ways or in some way or another, a major supporter of Pride Month since 1995. Well over a decade before... Damn, that is longer than I thought. Before they got swallowed up by InBev. So whether the support had been a heartfelt display of solidarity or a cheap cash grab, I don't know. On one hand, they have spent untold millions over the past three decades to events benefiting queer-friendly causes, events. Uh, And on the other hand... They've dumped maybe as much on conservative politicians who have turned around and threatened the rights of those very same people. I would argue it's not because of discrimination laws, but because they were at the time pushing policies that would help AB use their deep pockets, help eliminate competition, and cement their position as a monopoly so they could rob you idiots blind. I'm going to keep saying this until you all understand. All corporations are run by greedy me monkeys, and they will vomit up lies to keep you buying shit, and that's when they're not outright stealing from you. Death to all billionaires. Here's your tin hat. (laughs) That's going to become my catchphrase. Anywho, Anheuser-Busch. So, 
they were kind of in between a rock and a thick, veiny, sweaty, hard place. <laughs> uh, if they canceled all Pride-related support, um, everyone involved in those events would rightly decry them as cowards, and when they came crawling back, because it turns out uh, gay people have money too, uh, they would have been politely shown the door. On the flip side, if they go balls on the wall and, and bring out the uh, phosphofluorine rainbow bottles again, well, the hate farmers will get a, a second bumper crop of bullshit. So, we're into June now. What is Bud Light doing for Pride? Well, right now, it seems like they're doing basically the same thing they were, they've were they always done, only much, much quieter. Uh, Bud Light, it seems, uh, has refused to talk to anyone about what their, uh, what their plans are, which is uh, an odd marketing strategy, but given the needle they have to thread... Sort of no comment is the only comment you should be giving. <laughs> According to Fortune, they are still major sponsors in Pride celebrations in Chicago, San Francisco, Charlotte, and others. Newsweek, still feeding the right-wing crowd for some odd reason, reported that they may or may not have been a sponsor for a drag show in Fla for, for Flagstaff Pride. Um, Flagstaff Pride printed a poster that featured Bud Light as a major sponsor but later reprinted that poster saying uh, that first one was a mistake. But neither Flagstaff Pride or Bud Light would confirm or deny whether the brand was a sponsor. And on the Flagstaff Pride website, they still list the brand as a sponsor. From me, more evidence that Bud Light is trying to do what they were planning to do anyway, but just being real quiet about it. I also was looking up uh, looking up to see if like bot, like the like the bright rainbow bottles was were available. Um like uh, on on uh, what's that uh, uh, app? Dizzy, um, Drizzly, Drizzly. Thank you, Drizzly. I found a listing for them. Um, it said not available right now, but it had four reviews. One of which said uh, uh, tasted like uh, tasted like bleach and salt, uh, and, and had a creamy mouthfeel. So uh, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is Bravo Internet shit posters. <laughs> um. But that's all we can really. So I mean, what is one? What 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 exactly is Bud Light doing? Well, I guess you could say they're kind of in the closet about it. Um, although an interesting tidbit, um, AB was under contract with Miami Pride to sponsor their celebrations until last year. Instead, this year it will be Molson Coors. Whoa! Because I know they've had a history with, like. Getting caught doing the exact opposite. That's right, you dumbasses, because it turns out gay people have money too. Um, and often more than straight people, because they don't have to take care... They have to take care of f far fewer crotch goblins um, than typically your straight couples do. Uh, capitalism, baby. You gotta love it. Because uh, dumb people usually reproduce... Dumb heterosexuals reproduce at a higher rate. Of course, the boycott has had some lasting effect. Um... And for one, uh, and one that might be become even more lasting, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, Forbes, Fortune, Bloomberg, and others have report, uh, predicted a 15% decline in Bud Light going forward, um, pretty much across the board as major retailers start going through their resets. Uh, the assumption is that they're going to look at the data, assign less shelf space and less back stock to Bud Light, which even even which even the hate farmers and people who get mad about something. You know, once they all forget about this uh, snafu, it uh, kind of carves these losses into a semi-permanent basis. Ain't gonna happen. Um, 
You don't think it'll ever? It'll. It. It. I mean, you. You don't think it'll ever? You think it'll bounce back to where it was? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it'll ever do that. At least in the next two years, I don't see a major loss in shelf space coming for AB because they'll. AB will come in. Not for AB, Bud Light. Okay, so they'll fill it with Bush Light and Bud. That 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 may that may well be. <laughs> so it's robbing Peter to pay Paul and putting taking the money from your left pocket to put in your right pocket. I'm like, not. I'm not saying it won't be dumb. I'm saying there will be less shelf space for Bud Light, or at least the assumption from uh, uh, Fortune, Bloomberg, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, assumes that there are going to be. But oddly, if you're looking to invest in AB and Bev or Anheuser Busch. This might be the best time. Sources differ on this point, but Forbes and the Wall Street Journal report that while the stock has taken a major hit, the company itself is not doing that bad. Even if you factor in a fifteen percent, a permanent fifteen percent loss, uh, their P/E ratio, profit earnings, which is to say the value of their stock versus how much money they're actually making, is at fourteen point eight, which is the lowest in a decade, and that very much includes the pandemic. And even MarketWatch, which cautions against buying it quite yet because other stock analysts don't quite hate it enough yet. That was their rationale. I report, you decide. Listen. Um, But their position is, no, 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 wait. Because what you're seeing right now is more people fed up with self-righteous social justice warriors. And, okay, fair enough, I guess. Um, But even they admit that at some point it will become a good buy saying, and this is is how I'm going to end this uh, 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 tirade because it is my favorite, of all the things I've ever heard in this whole story, this is my favorite quote so far. And it comes from MarketWatch. Quote, a culture with the brain power of a goldfish also has the memory of a goldfish. (laughs) That should be the tagline for this podcast. Thank, thank you, Market Watch, for point, putting it so succinctly. They've been the first people to finally have the balls to say it. <laughs> Tyler, what's next? Well, we're going to harken back to the days when beer was just beer. Like, no, literally, that's all it said on the fucking cam. Was there ever... I just assumed that that was like a, a feature of movies in the 70, 60s and 70s when they didn't want to... Before the time of, like, product endorsement. No! And, and he shows me a picture of a... That might be the... Uh, that that might be the... Uh, not only the the, uh, the cover of this episode, but the cover of our podcast. It's just a white can that says beer on it. Or there's that one that says beer. Or... There's that one that says beer, but in blue theme. Uh, yes, so it's a Vine Pair article that talks about when beer was beer, the forgotten generic brands that ruled the 70s. So, to give you a little backstory, uh, spawned by the seven, 1973 oil crisis and stock market crash, there were skyrocketing unemployment rates. Uh, most Americans had less money to spend on consumer goods but people need to keep buying things for capitalism to keep going so companies figured out a new way to sell them the same shit uh bring in in 1977 the no frills generic brands begin popping up all over supermarkets with uh no name just peas just beer and after that beer came in uh the big company this article kind of focuses on uh 
was Falstaff Brewing Company. I remember. Well, I don't remember them. I've I've heard of, I've I've heard much about so, them. In the 60s, St. Louis's Falstaff Brewing Company was the third largest brewery operation in America, behind only Anheuser-Busch and Schlitz. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Things have changed a little yep. bit. Well, uh, fun fact, uh, one of those companies still exists. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> For uh, now. <laughs> they had seven plants nationwide, but by the mid-1970s, Falstaff 2 was cash-strapped, losing $3.5 million a year, and embroiled in an antitrust case with the Supreme Court. Uh, in 75... That's so weird to think Falstaff. <laughs> uh, Paul Komalzovitz, uh, the owner of General Brewing Company, real creative fucking name, uh, General Brewing, uh, General a- Brewing, <laughs> acquired Falstaff, joined a portfolio that, so in doing so, Falstaff joined a portfolio that already included, would you like to guess? Uh, oh, Slits? Nope. Uh, Trying to think of what was uh, Paps, Strohs, and Olympia. Okay, I would. I, uh, Paps was going to be on that. Uh, if I just, if you let me random start uh, blubbering random names, I would have eventually got Paps, but Strohs yeah. and Olympia would never. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe Olympia. I don't know. Uh, which the article goes on to point by many accounts. Uh, the Paul Klamazovitz, uh was a <laughs> real piece of work. A curmudgeon who banned telephones at his company. Refused to donate any of his instatiable wealth to charity. Quote, nobody tells me who gets the money, and I decide. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you decide. You can still decide who gets the money, but yeah. all right. Uh, who also tried for years to get a rival of the Statue of Liberty called the Statue of Justice installed in the San Francisco Bay. The man was really born in the wrong time. I feel like right now... Oh, he'd be president right now. (laughs) Fucking terrible. Uh, He was a man obsessed with profit above all else, according to a judge who fined him $1.3 million in 79 for breaching contract. That's incredible. A judge found a, a a rich man guilty of something. God, how times have he really was born in the wrong at wrong time because he would have not been find anything. He would oh. give him more money. Yeah, so oh, poor man. Here was his big plan: it was to eliminate all marketing, fire hundreds of longtime employees, and slash expenses to the bare bone. Um, so when he bought Falstaff, he shut down their plant in St. Louis, fired 175 employees in their corporate offices, took away pensions, sent them severance checks that bounced. That 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 moan you just heard was actually Elon Musk coming just from. Uh-huh. I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, but he just knew. He that, heard. He just like, oh my god, oh god. Uh, <laughs> a quote was: "He went through Falstaff like Grant through Richmond." Uh, <laughs> oh, holy shit! He took no prisoners. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised he didn't use Sherman in Georgia, but still. <laughs> uh, one of their breweries, though, remained open, and it was the Fort Wayne, Indiana location, which pumped out 1.2 million barrels of beer annually. He may have fired most of his employees and ravaged the beloved brand, but he still had the ability to brew beer, especially cheap beer, and he saw money. So... Mid-1970s were a golden age for beer marketing and advertising. Uh, 
you know, Miller, funded by Philip Morris, uh, had the great taste, or taste great, less filling ads. I thought that was in the 80s. Nope. Okay. Um, but he decided with fault to use Falstaff and release beer. It was first released in the summer of 79. In the supermarkets like Piggly Wiggly and Value King, it had no ads, no commercials, no celebrity spokespeople, no distribution costs, and no trending package. Uh, but the price was what sold it. It sold for $1.19 a six-pack. <laughs> or less than a quarter a can. Standard beer at the time was around $2.50 to $3 a six-pack. Um... Uh, and apart from it being a cheap beer, not much else is known about the formulation of the beer, claims beer historian David Healy. Statistically, it was a pale lager. But other than that, people some people believe it was leftover beer General Brewing had sitting around. Uh, whether Falstaff, Ballantine, Lucky Lager, or even a mixture of all of those... That just got thrown into a can and sold for super cheap so they didn't have to dump it down the drain. Can you imagine, like, I mean, Ballantine, so keep in mind, Ballantine was the precursor of the IPA. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, back back then, imagine your surprise, opening a can of beer, taking a swig, and that being the, your first exposure to an IPA, like a two-year-old, like, hev- like English-style, very caramely, not hoppy, just intensely bitter IPA, but an IPA nonetheless. I think that's I think that person probably would like see Jesus. Uh so uh David Healy uh actually examined the recipe books from the Fort Wayne brewery and but found no particular specs or even mention of beer. <laughs> what the fuck? Though he did find one recipe for a generic light beer that they suspect was beer light, L I T E. Uh which was released at the same time. Uh, but no one knows exactly what it was, uh, but it was an immediate hit with a struggling economy. Uh, so much so that they were waiting lists for stores trying to get beer to come into their store and be on their shelves. For the purpose of this conversation, beer is with a capital B. Yeah, capital B, capital E, capital E, capital R. <laughs> All uppercase beer. Uh They were, there's a quote that says, people are actually casting aside such vulnerable institutions such as Miller Time and Ham, the Ham's Bear in favor of an unnamed, unadvertised, unimpressive, unassuming beer called beer. I mean, listen, if you have no money and you need, I mean, the, the urge to get shit-faced is high. And so I definitely see the attraction of this costs less than a quarter a can. One of the execs said, if you can find someone to explain it, let me know. Well, uh, people are Poe, and they want to get drunk. An anonymous college student gave him that explanation (laughs) and said, it gets you drunk just like the other stuff. (laughs) I mean, welcome to our world, and also death to billionaires. Uh, But other breweries and supermarkets quickly took note. Uh, Dubois Brewery, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, out of Pittsburgh, today more well-known for its Iron City beer, offered a black-and-white beer brand sold at Schnucks stores. Uh, 
Grocery chain Ralph's was the first supermarket to go into the generic beer game via a line of Falstaff generics with names like President's Choice and Cost Cutters Beer, which had a picture of scissors on the label. Iowa's Pickett and Son had generic beer. So did Minnesota's August Shell Brewery. Uh, Pearl Brewery out of Texas had a beer labeled with a very specific Space Age font. Also with a nice MAGA-esque screed on it. Reading, Wake up, America! Be a good American and buy American! Followed by another hundred words or so urging drinkers to contact their congressman. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I want to get my hands on that can. I mean... And also, let, spare a thought for the fact that they put that on a beer can because you know, you know somebody like chugged like a, a, a 12-pack of those and then decided to take them up on that offer to contact a congressman. And you know that there were some phone call. There probably still are, but there was a, there was a phone call left on some congressman or senator's, uh, uh, well, well, secretary. I, I was like, listen, listen, I got you, you shit. You f- Fucking. <laughs> so, he. Falstaff's success galvanized him so that he used other breweries under his homes, ones in Omaha, Milwaukee, Vancouver, Washington, uh, to produce their own generics. But by then, beer and beer light accounted for about one third of his brewery's production. <laughs> um, and. With this here, they reached a peak in 1982 and 83 where generic items accounted for about 2.4% of all grocery store sales. Uh, But the federal government was trying to quell the biggest downturn in the economy since the Depression. And things started to improve. Um, By 1986, a uh, grocery store exec told the New York Times, the consumer has lost interest in generic brands. Um, Which, Kamalstovitz died the next year. (laughs) His associates celebrated the death of their boss with shots of Jack Daniels as he lay to rest in a $6.5 million mausoleum and, and and meanwhile, the, his workers outside are going, ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch old witch, the wicked witch. But Falstaff continued to release beer and beer light. Uh, the later of which faced a lawsuit from Miller over the term light. <laughs> Spelled L-I-T. L-I-T-E. Uh, they did end up winning that lawsuit uh, because the court ruled that that term could not be appropriated by only one brewer. Fair. Uh I mean, you just spelled light wrong. Yeah. Uh, But they continued to close and sell its remaining breweries over the following years. Finally, in 94, the Fort Wayne Brewery was shuttered for good, and the last generic beers in existence were unceremoniously taken off the shelves as the craft beer revolution heated up, and no one no longer wanted beer. And every once in a while, I think a craft brand just makes like like a... a generic beer. Like, I feel like at least one brand has made just beer. I mean, the closest is... I mean, you got Beer Beer. Uh, Ten Barrel did their pub beer. Pub designed beer. just like that. All white with just yeah. a black bold font. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, if anyone has any of these cans and wants to send us pictures, like, if any of them are unopened, Jeremy and I will crack them open and try them. The opinions of Tyler do not necessarily reflect that of Jeremy. Jeremy, if someone sends us a beer from 79 or 80 that is unopened, we are trying it. We're not, we're, you you realize you'll be drinking a beer slightly older than I am, right? You're, you're comfortable with this. If, if all it is, is a can that just says beer. Like, this, this, this could I will do it for science. All right. Um, well, there you go. If you are sitting on an open, unopened can of a 40 year old beer and, now want to dispose of it for some reason there there's the perfect way of doing it <laughs> uh jeremy what do we got next i suppose it was only a matter of time before it came to this news now <clears throat> mystic ways in pennsylvania has reached the logical conclusion of the whole ipa thing um like from its obscure birth in england uh partially as a result of colonialism to its american spin-offs uh to the uh, highly bitter first experiments in craft beer, uh, to the evolution of the West Coast, to whatever the fuck hazy IPA is now. Uh, it's been an exercise in bigger, more, and hoppier. Uh, whether we are looking to turn beer into a completely undrinkable punch uh, to the back of the throat with IBUs, past the point of human perception, or sanity for that matter, or whether it's making a thick, yeasty drink that tastes like herbal orange juice that you, you could stand a spoon up in, um... This we, we this is where it's come down to. This comes from localish. Uh, Mystic Ways has started serving their beer over a bed of hops, like exactly how it would look. Fill a glass with whole leaf hops, uh, pour a beer on top of it, and drink it through a straw. Uh, the beer pourer, I guess is what you would call it, is they call it a, a, a hop mate, referring to the caffeinated South American beverage. Um, uh, but not the super hipster, trendy bullshit in a can that tastes roughly like tea spent a nickel in prison and came out super hard. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the actual drink from <laughs> South America. Uh, you, you take a cup, you fill it with these tea leaves, and you drink it through a straw with a filter on the end of it. And then you pour more hot water on top of it while you drink, right? That's how they do it there. Same basic concept, same straw even, like a metal straw with a bulb mesh at the end that acts as kind of a filter. Uh, you fill the glass with hops, pour your choice of beer over it, and sip away. Um, the owners, uh, Angie and Joe uh, Wintarski, say people have been really excited by the idea. Uh, the, co- the concept is sound. Uh, the, the results feel like the answer to the question, uh, what would happen if I filtered my beer through lawn clippings? I mean, I've worked at a brewery or I've been to breweries that during like fresh hop season will garnish the top of the pint with like a whole cone, like fresh hop. That's a garnish. Um, and people absolutely think that is the coolest fucking thing. So I'm not surprised seeing this. I mean, I get, again, it's like that was only a matter of time before someone did that. Um, for you, for the, you, the truly committed hop addict, uh, there's your new challenge. Make a pilgrimage to Pennsylvania or I don't know, get a tall glass, fill it with your own a uh, whole leaf hops of choice, fill it with your beer of choice, and let us know what it was like uh, 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 through email uh, at it's all beer or you know your preference. Because um, I'm just whatever you do, don't call in because I'm fairly certain your tongue will be numb after that. <laughs> Tyler, what's next? Well, a brief uh, saw this article. It was on thenewschoolbeer.com, and it was an oral history of the iconic Barley Browns beer. Brew Pub uh, in Baker City, which is just a few short hours away from where we're sitting here in Boise, Idaho. Go ahead and get into our next beer. This has more to do with the uh, uh, my story, which will be the final one of the night. But um, 
something to sip on while while uh, while Tyler reads this because I'm getting thirsty. I am too. So, um, if you don't know, Barley Browns is in a small little eastern Oregon town of Baker City, a couple hours away from Boise. Um, really, not much going on there besides Barley Browns and a really weirdly cool hotel. Oh. Like it's it, it's 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 hard to describe why the Kaiser Grand is such a draw. You just have to if you know you know, and if you don't, book a weekend book a romantic weekend in Baker City. <laughs> it sounds dumb, but it's not. But but you'll enjoy it. Yes, uh, but uh, they went on. Quite a like gold medal winning streak with a lot of beers. They've won gold medals at GABF for their Pallet Jack. They kind of defined the Black IPA or the Cascadian Dark Ale with the turmoil. Uh, according to the article, or the criminally underappreciated Shredder's Wheat. I Oh my god, that is... Criminally underappreciated is the proper term for that because it is the one of the few wheat beers that you drink. You go, oh my god. This is a wheat beer. Yep. Um, and, I mean, they've been dead set outside of a brief time during the COVID-19 pandemic of never putting their beer in bottles or cans. Um, and then really, once bars started opening back up, they stopped canning. And uh, in this article, they actually talk about, talk to Tyler Brown, he quotes, um, you know, the culture of being in a bar is more important to keep alive and that's why we don't want to send our beer out in packages because we want to keep that culture of going to a bar in the camaraderie well, alive. It, and it also makes their beer um, like permanently um, not unaccessible, but you have to go out to find it. Mm-hmm. You're never gonna. You're, it's never gonna be a beer, beer you can guarantee to find at your local supermarket or even your local bottle shop. Mm-hmm. Because you're only gonna find it on draft. You can fill growlers, you can fill crowlers, uh, you know, whatever the fuck. But you're just—I mean, it's there. That's it, cool because whenever, as as you know, at, at our tap room, whenever we put barley browns on draft uh, and it goes on untapped, we'll get people from get get new people from out and about going, "Holy shit, we saw you had barley browns on." Mm-hmm. Well, so a little backstory how they got started. So Tyler Brown, the founder. Uh, longtime motorcycle racing enthusiast was it was in the late 80s early 90s went to Yakima uh, for a race and stumbled upon the legendary Burt Grant Brewing uh, and was blown away that they were brewing beer on a little system in their restaurant that race was held right during fall hop harvest so added a romantic ambiance of the valley um, and then a few years later was in Boise, Idaho, at the Waihee Motorcycle Club, um, and decided he was going to stop by a homebrew supply shop and purchase everything he needed to brew beer, including the Complete Joy of Homebrewing book. That would have been BrewCon uh, at the back in the day. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because well because uh, our shop and, and Brewers Haven they didn't get started they uh, they didn't get started up till sometime after two thousand. Or no, yeah, no, even later than that because they they didn't exist when I left uh, Idaho back in two thousand and nine, 
And so that would have had well, to... Uh, Brewer's Haven might have that late. No, it didn't. Because I, right, I, I lived right across the street from where Brewer's Haven... Because when I moved here in 2010, Brewer's Haven was there. Well, that that's... Well, it may have started in 2009, 2010. But I lived, annoyingly, like across the street from where it would later be. And it wasn't there while I, I lived there. Um, so that had to have... Well, there was only two options at the time. That had either been Brew Connoisseurs, which the fact that he went into that shop... And walked out still with a dream. Good on you, because those people were curmudgeonly bastards. Um, the other, the on the opposite side of the spectrum was way out in Nampa, uh, run by Deb. That would be the Nampa, uh, Nampa Brewer Center. Uh, she was fucking amazing. Yeah. So and it doesn't say which one he went into. I um, mean, probably BrewCon, but he does say he never actually brewed at home. He just brought it to the restaurant and brewed on slow shifts, which were frequent. Said the health inspector didn't like it. But let it slide. Um, and then they hired their first head brewer in 2000. Would okay. you like to guess who it was? I have no fucking idea. Yes, you do. I mean, I, I, I know I, I know who it is, but... You know who it is. Okay, I don't, but I have He no... later went on to work for Ten Barrel. Is it Sean Kelso? Yes. Holy shit, I didn't know he was the first Barley Brown's head brewer. Well... Technically, he was their first hired one. Okay. Technically, Tyler Brown was the first one for... Oh, fair enough, but still. Um, so, yeah, he moved back to Baker City, where he was born and raised, to open a bakery with a high school friend at the end of 99. Uh, Barley Browns had been open for about a year and a half at that point. Uh, he knew Tyler from grade school and through high school. Um, he had homebrewed. Tyler... Uh, Asked him to come in and start cleaning kegs. He'd come in and watched him brew. He did it for about eight months. And after, and then he left the bakery and uh, asked Tyler if he could get paid. And he said, sure. And then he brewed for Barley Browns for the next 11 years. And here is a picture of young Sean Kelso oh and Tyler God. Brown. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like going... I, 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 for some reason, I'm expecting like this, like really skinny, uh, or like this, like no. this super skinny, like kid going, and like, oh, well, actually, no, that's that actually looks like a young, uh, a younger Sean Kelso. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why um, I was expecting like this rail. <laughs> so they went. Kelso and Barley Browns went on a huge, massive medal winning streak at GABF, and basically established this tiny Eastern Oregon brewery as a national force. Uh, they are credited with the. To be one of the birthplaces of the Cascadian Dark Ale, or Black IPA, um, people started taking notice, and Carl Singmaster, one of the co-founders of Belmont Station, um, helped. Was the reason Barley Browns basically got introduced to Portland and Belmont Station? He said in 2006. Uh, his wife, Amy, and him were driving across the country and stopping at brew pubs along the way, and their last stop was Barley Browns in Baker Cities. Uh, they had a couple beers, most notably their wonderful hoppy pale ale, and this was... Uh, they, about a week later, impulsively bought a majority ownership in Belmont Station. <laughs> uh, he said, I was surprised that many beer people here in Portland had less had a less positive take on Barley Brown's beers. So uh, he saw Sean Kelso at an Oregon Brewers Guild meeting a year more later and asked if he could get some Barley Browns to pour at Belmont Station. 
on Tyler's next trip out to Portland. They called. He ordered the pale ale, he thinks, uh, and uh, he believes uh, because they had no other hoppy beers, uh, so their weird. brown ale. It was so weird to think about. Like, And there were no other hoppy beers. The fuck was happening? Yeah. Um, they were well received and basically from there on, uh, we ordered beer whenever they were coming over to Portland. Um, Sean rem- Kelso remembers it a little bit different. He said he thinks it was about 04 or 05. Um, and the Pelican Brewing founder, founding brewmaster was telling Sean they need to enter beers into the North American Beer Awards, uh, which just recently happened. So congrats to all the breweries who won a medal. Um, Quite a few Idaho breweries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they hadn't entered beer into competition, and 05 was the first year they did. They won a handful of medals. Well, he met Carl, uh, and Carl told him about Belmont Station and asked if he could buy some beer to put on tap next time we come to Portland. I asked him what beers he would like, and I went down the list of what we had available. I would say the beer name and style, and he would just say yes. I believe we sold six or seven kegs, two being the Tumble Off Pale. Uh, which is a big deal when you're brewing on a four-barrel system, and the best you're going to get is eight kegs per batch. Yeah. You're selling an eighth of each batch, basically, to them. And basically, he bought almost one full batch if he bought six or seven kegs. Um, and went through. This kind of really gets into a lot of, like, Barley Browns did a horizontal, which is same beer, but aged in different barrels. Um at a bar in Portland, and it quoted the, I can't remember who they quote in it, but he's like, no one was doing that in Portland because no one had the tank space to do it or the ability to do that, but Barley Browns was. So when I saw they were doing that at this bar in Portland, I had to go. I can't, it's so weird to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2012, <clears throat> Kelso left barley browns to go to 10 barrel and open up the boise location um very crediting for tyler brown giving him kind of his start and uh they then hired the next head brewer and basically this gets into a lot but here are the head brewers they've only had four head brewers in 25 years um I mean, five if you count Tyler Brown, but founders usually, I feel, don't get counted. I, I mean, count or not, I don't care. Yeah. So, Sean Kelso from November of 2000 to March of 2012. Marks Lanham from February of 2012 to November of 2013. Eli Dickerson, uh, June of 2012 to current. Addison Collard, uh, she's been there... June of 2012 to current, and Kyle Dixon, April 19 to current. I mean, so, also handy at keeping staff, which, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, I mean. And they've taught, in this article, they talk about how, like, Barley Browns has basically integrated themselves in as a staple of the community, and almost everyone who works there Every person really besides one of their head brewers is from Baker City. 
and has worked their way up through the restaurant to head brewer. Like every, almost all their staff there are from Baker city. They like focus on being a part of the community and, um, a historic, a beer historian, you know, is talking about him. Tyler Brown serves on like six different boards in the Baker city community. Like he is very involved. Um, and that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to do packages because it basically allows his reach to go out further and he can't be involved and it's not as community oriented. That's a really cool story. That's a... But like it is an article worth reading because you hear all these stories and you're every story. If you familiar with the Barley Brown brand, you're like, Oh, yep, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I've met Tyler Brown, I think, two times over here in Boise at beer festivals. Very down-to-earth, very cool guy, super knowledgeable in beer, and just likes beer. Mm-hmm. And I ran into him, or uh, uh, ran into him and talked to him just the once, but uh, yeah. again, extremely approachable. Yeah, super approachable, super nice guy. <laughs> and... Um, so if you've never had Barley Brown's beer or never been to Baker, go over, check out Barley Brown's on the recommendation of Jeremy, stay at the Grand Kaiser Hotel, (laughs) uh, and make a nice little weekend trip out of it. And here's the 25 years of Barley Brown's. Cheers. All right. An homage to dad beer news now. Woo! Uh, I was working. Actually, I was working at ta- uh, at the tap room, and I was talking up some uh, amber ale that we had on tap to a customer, and someone else nearby did the dad beer uh, thing, uh, which is just fucking wrong. Okay, dad beer is like beer like Olympia or Schlitz or basically anything from the from what Tyler was talking about earlier. Beer, <laughs> right? or just beer. All right, the, the, you know those one off beer brands that uh, that where the Ken doesn't even oh, that doesn't only really, like look right. It looks natural next to a Nagahide easy chair and an overflowing ashtray. And in a garage fridge that is kept at a brisk, like, 33 degrees. <laughs> um, but then it was pointed out to me that I was almost enough to be that person's father, and so the definite addition of dad beer nearly changed. Uh, and also, fuck that person. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. It sucks. But let's face it. Amber Ale is dad beer news. Uh, uh, or dad beer now. So, But it's making a comeback. That's actually what what the, the uh, this comes from Jeff Allworth of Craft Beer and Brewing. The early days of craft beer came with an assortment of styles that you just don't see much anymore: honey wheats, extra pales, stouts with no chocolate, caramel, nuts, fruit, or fucking marshmallow. Um, but indeed, the American Amber Ale might be the most ubiquitous. Just like every brewery must have an IPA today, you would have been hard pressed to walk into a brewery in the late '90s, early 2000s, and not see an Amber Ale. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Well, the tastes were sort of defined by color, and amber was right in the middle. Like, it wasn't pale, like your domestic lager-esque blondes or wheats. Uh, it wasn't sweet and heavy like your porters or stouts. Um, it was the gateway beer to kind of craft beer because it was subtle enough that your lager drinkers would like it, but flavorful enough you'd get people wanting more. Um, you know, and it harkens back to a day when... Taster flights resembled the entire SRM chart, um, as opposed to these days, like my last trip to Portland, my taster flights more resembled the same beer, but in different stages of fermentation. Uh, and like many things, 
from my salad days, the American Amber Ale is making a bit of a comeback. Um, and for the same reason what that that made them popular in the first place. Because um, like what you talked about, it's the beginning for a, it was like a nice gateway beer. It's sweet enough, although not as sweet as it used to be. Um, it's not, it's notably not hoppy, which is becoming increasingly attractive uh, to a lot of people suffering hot fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought the E9 Rowdy and Dick uh, to... Uh, because I, I think it's one of the best amber ales out there. What do you what do you think about this one? I mean, I like it, but it's it's not my favorite. What? But I, it's like if I see it on and I want an amber ale, which is hardly never, uh, is I, mean, I will gladly order that. You're a well known Mac and Jacks fan. I mean, that's. <laughs> I can't stand that beer. I think it is a god awful abomination of the style, and I don't get why everyone's fucking jizzes their pants every time they see it on. Because but, it's fucking sweet. Um, I mean, I like this one. The caramely flavor is there. It's got like some fruity characteristics, and it's got this like roasty bite at the end. It's like it's got all the components of an amber ale, but a little bit, a little bit more complexity. And I like that roasty bite at the end. Um, but anyway, um, so the question is, where did this important but overlooked relic of craft beer come from? And interesting, no brewery has ever publicly made a claim to the first American Amber Ale. It just sort of evolved. Just, you know, it just sort of happened. I mean, the people that I think could have would have been New Belgium before they bastardized Fat Tire. Um, however, this article theorizes that the origins might lie with the English ESB. Um, Von Havig, uh, co-founder and master brewer at Gigantic Brewing in Portland, said the amber was, quote, British beer made by people who didn't know what British beer tasted like. Um... <laughs> and a lot has to do with the ingredients you could get. I mean, you go into your local homebrew store, you look online or at a supplier, and you see page after page, especially malts. It's easy to forget that in the good old days, that shit did not exist. Um, aside from the odd homebrewer tinkering in his garage, there was no market for specialty malts. Um, so all you could even get is caramel malt. Lots and lots of fucking caramel malt. Um, Havig pre- describes pretty much a standard recipe back then, alright? It involves 15% caramel malt. Um, mashing at 157. Damn! Which, for reference, most recipes anymore, if they even use caramel malt, they max out at like 10%. Yeah. And... Although, I'll never forget working at the homebrew shop with you. A guy came in, and he was gonna do an all-grain recipe at 80% caramel malt. And I was like, no! And he's like, no, no, trust me, this recipe's delicious. And I was like, nope. No, it's not gonna be! I'm and lo- you're not going to get hardly any fermentable sugars out of that. Yeah, like, I'm glad you like it, bro. Um, <laughs> um, the, the extra caramel and the high temp, like, but like what you mentioned, that's a lot of residual sugar, which was kind of the point. They were shooting for a gravity of 1.061 and finishing at 1.020. Now, I'm throwing a, a bunch of high-level beer geekery at you right now, but... If you're listening with a brewer, or at least someone who's well-versed in the art of brewing, the look of horror on their face right now tells you all you need to know. And if you don't have that person nearby, suffice to say, this is how you make a sugar bomb. Uh, But again, that was the point. Another quote from Havig, quote, 
you have to remember what came out. Uh, 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 all beer was highly attenuated, thin, low flavor. Now suddenly you have this beer that's got body. It's got a rich malty flavor. Very simply, it was a different flavor in beer. And then something strange happened on the way to making flavorful malty beer. IPAs. Um, we in the industry learned a lot about subtlety. Uh, while our ambers were these big, full-bodied, caramely sweet, our IPAs were kind of the same, full of caramel, but hopped so aggressively that you could actually feel the back of your throat rebelling against you. <laughs> um, we learned. We grew. We discovered, that dry, we discovered dry hopping and whirlpool hops and other things that bring out hop flavor uh, but low bitterness we figured out that uh, a thousand ibus is not necessarily a good thing uh, we you know and and tuned correctly that means that we could augment even amber ales with hop flavor and aroma without bringing them up to without bringing them up to like red ipa um and not relying car on caramel nearly as much um but by the time we were sort of figuring this out amber was a fading thing um you know, the, the, the best evidence you had that a brewery had been around since the 90s or, before, or the 2000s was the fact that they still had an amber ale on. Because no brewery found in the past five years has ever made an amber. Would even bother with something like an amber ale. Because who the fuck wants an amber? We need that space for one of our 15 fucking IPAs. You want to know something that's funny? The company I work for, we do an amber. And you've been around for how long? Been a, a while. Uh... <laughs> uh, what's funny is really without a lot of push our amber has taken taken off and is our third best seller right now closing in on our second fast we at uh, our tap room now make it a point to have an amber on uh -huh. It was not a style that we every once in a while be like, oh, you know, there's an amber, we'll throw it on. You know, there there was always a market for for like something malt forward, like a porter or a stout or something. Uh -huh. But lately, over the past couple of years, we've made it a point to go, um, okay, do we have an amber? You know, we have that amber on. Okay, let's back it up with another. Uh -huh. Now, amber in our amber in our lexicon means you know that can mean. Amber ale, that can mean scotch ale, that can mean brown ale. We're kind of looking for around those because amber ale is still sometimes hard to find. But the point is... I was going to say, I mean, I don't... There's the Rowdy and, Rowdy and Dick. There's the one we make. There's Mac and Jack. Which we've got uh, on tap right now, so, you know. <laughs> there's Mac and Jack's and if, there's... If uh, you don't know where, where Tyler works, you can come in and find out. <laughs> uh, and I... I think there may be one, maybe two other amber ales kind of in this market, and that's about it. Um, but the amber ale sort of stuck around and quietly evolved to suit modern tastes. Um, I, I, uh, the article like just talks about a, uh, uh, just talked to a whole lot of head brewers and what on how they approach amber ale. I'm just going to read um, how they approach uh, the amber ale from Rubens Brewing out of Seattle. Quote. Our approach to a modern amber ale brings elements that are found in modern IPAs. All of our IBU pickups from a large whirlpool that maximize flavor and aroma but keep bitterness in check. From Emancipation Brewing out of Fair Fairbury, Illinois. Quote, our recipe consists of less crystal malt with most of color coming from debittered dark malt like Black Prince. Mm -hmm. It's also far from syrupy, far from syrupy raisin caramel and ca raisin caramel in character. There's a lot of C words. Mm. 
I wonder what an amber with like midnight wheat because that almost gives off a nuttiness. Um, I mean, you kind of get. I mean, you're kind of going to like the, the recipe for like a, a like an Irish red at that point in time because that uses that uses like t- a traditionally black patent, like a small mm-hmm. amount for its color. But you're you're not wrong. Um, from Torch and Crown out of Manhattan, quote: We use a blend of a small amount of classic crystal malt and a larger amount of German caramel Munich to have, uh, add more malt depth than classic toffee bombs I grew up drinking. Um, and that brings us to the day where this unassuming style is, it, it's its not a big flashy resurgence, all right? You're not going to see a bunch of bros lined up around the block. It's a quiet, renewed appreciation. And the reason, I think, is because of all the things we talked about. Amber Ale is sweet, but not heavy like stout or a porter. It features hops, but it's not hoppy, so to speak. It's flavorful and approachable. Its function at the beginning was a gateway beer with broad appeal. It it remains that way. You convince your non-beer geek friends to go to a brewery and they look up at the menu with a certain fear and you just say, just fucking order the amber and it will probably be good enough. Or they won't hate it, right? Mm -hmm. You try the lager, you try the amber, and if you don't like one of those two, you get a water. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Um, Places have canned cocktails now, all right? Um, it's a nice throwback for the old guard who are drinking the toffee bombs long before they were popular. And as uh, Havig notes, uh, they were getting an, getting an audience with the next generation of beer drinkers. Quote, the weird thing is uh, young adults are starting to drink ours because they've never seen one before. They say it's amazing. It's malty. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> How does it feel, Tyler? How does it feel to realize uh, that you are now old? Oh, fuck. I'm only 30. <laughs> uh, 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 now we're at the end of the podcast. Have you figured out what I tainted your beer glass with? Have you figured out the the, the, the poison cr- uh, uh, coursing through your system yet? No, I figured it was just alcohol and your shitty jokes. Uh, actually, it was my semen. Um well, I don't think it's actually a toxin, but I did give it to my wife uh, some years back, and uh, nine months later, uh, uh, it ruined my life. So. She passed on a venereal disease. <laughs> she, I mean, it, my life ended at that point in time, so it's 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 some sort of toxic thing. So I, it was worth a shot, but uh, glad to see you're okay. This has been It's All Beer. <laughs> See, what I did there was a shitty joke at the beginning, all to set up this at the end. Now, how do you feel about my intro? You know, if that was planned, I take back what I said. It was planned, actually. I have that written down. This has been It's All Beer. If you want to get a hold of us uh, and and, and uh, uh, let us know which states I, I have bemoaned or not, you can get a hold of us at itsallbeer at gmail.com. Uh, post photos uh, and what uh, stuff like uh, what we're drinking and other things from uh, news, news articles throughout the week. Uh, find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, or uh, at It's All Beer. Um, and uh, uh, and yeah, if you uh, if you like what you're hearing, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or uh, a couple of a couple of other things that I, I, I don't bother even learning because it's, it's iTunes and Stitcher. Let's, let's be honest and. And our and our feet, we actually get quite a lot from just uh, from just putting our feet out there. So you know, there's people that just kind of click the the, the Facebook link when I when I post that, and they listen to it there. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess you can you can mash that subscribe button and get it directly to your door. I'll, I'll mash. I'll I'll, I'll actually ma- uh, 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 I'll mail a tape to you if that helps. <laughs> 
That's only no, he won't. That's only if you remember the Amber Ale. <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's the only way you're old enough to actually deserve that kind of treatment. And have an eight-track player. <laughs> and that'll be quite enough from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. And next week will be our last episode before yes, summer break. We, we've got. Uh, we're 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 doing a, a one last. We're doing one of our uh, 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 episodes where we evaluate hazy IPAs. Yep. And so, uh, if you have a, are we gonna blind taste test it? We're gonna blind taste test this motherfucker. So, whoop, whoop. if you've particular, if you've got a uh, hazy IPA that uh, uh, you'd like to see how it does among other hazy IPAs, uh, let us know. And we're gonna do Thunderdome this shit. Uh, six of six or so uh, hazy IPAs. Six to eight. Uh, enter. Uh, one leaves as a champion. So. Uh, tune in next week, and then we're off for the summer. So uh, until then, uh, yeah, cheers. Have fun.